Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Recep Tayyip Erdogan's second round presidential election victory was neither a surprise nor a landslide. He was widely expected to win, yet almost half of the Turkish electorate showed its displeasure by voting for the opposition. Erdogan now has a renewed popular mandate, but he must navigate carefully the stormy seas of inflation and international relations. What courses is he going to chart for Turkey when he starts a term which may mark more than a quarter century in power for him? For more views and um, some explanations on Turkey after Erdogan's re-election, let us turn to central Israel, where we're joined by Dr. Chaitan Konyar Rochak, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center, Tel Aviv University, as well as the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Also joining us from Ankara, Turkey, is Mr. Omer Ozkizilchik, who is a foreign policy and security analyst. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thanks for having me. Indeed, and as uh, ever, our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, uh, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of uh, the current uh, framework in which we're going to delve into this topic of interest. So the uh, Turkish uh, voters have made their choice and uh, have uh, voiced their preference, and they will have to live with the consequences. Um, obviously, there are domestic issues because um, Erdogan's first uh, priority and uh, responsibility is to take care of uh, his people, uh, of the uh, very populous country, an important country, straddling Asia and uh, Europe. But we here, as well as uh, other um, observers abroad, are also, or perhaps uh, even more, interested in what is going to happen in the national security and foreign policy domains. So now that uh, Erdogan is in power, he doesn't have uh, to be as militant as he was during the campaign, actually two campaigns before the first round and then the, uh, the next two weeks uh, ahead of the second round. He can be more moderate vis-a-vis -vis the uh, migrants in uh, Turkey. He will not be more moderate, obviously, uh, against the uh, Kurdish terror organization, PKK, but he may have some, we will hear from our experts, have some uh, agreement or modus uh, vivendi with uh, the uh, Syrians or perhaps the Russians in Syria. He will be more forthcoming towards NATO's um, uh, Sweden accession. And uh, the um, uh, most intriguing question for us here is whether his rapprochement towards Israel, which started almost two years ago when uh, the uh, Bennett-Lapid government uh, took power, but um, is still going on as we speak uh, under Netanyahu, whether we will see it uh, going uh, up to uh, another level. 
I think just a couple of weeks ago when uh, the Deputy Foreign Minister of Azerbaijan visited Israel and partook in the Herzliya Conference of uh, the Institute for Policy and Strategy at Reichman University, he highlighted, of course, uh, being uh, the Deputy Foreign Minister of Turkey's closest ally, that Erdogan, in his perspective, is a thinker, he's a strategic thinker that understands long-term strategy. Also, when we're talking about Israel, this is something that uh, he understands the the added value for Turkey for this relation. Uh, nevertheless, uh, when we're initially talking about this election, it, it does seem that there is a lot of resentment towards the, the Turkish leader who has... Uh, been in power for quite some time now, with uh, entire generations, of course, not knowing any other leader except for Erdogan, uh, Dr. Konyan uh, Rochak. Uh, when uh, I look at his uh, wording uh, utilized after uh, the victory, of course, the election victory, uh, he used, at least from the translation I received from Turkey, uh, words of trying to put aside uh, all the debates and conflicts regarding the election and unite around our national goals and dreams. What are those national goals and dreams right now? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I just want to um, mention that I a little disagree with you that he tried to uh, unite the society. In the very first lines of his speech, he already emphasized that his party is free from the LGBTQ uh, community and he also in a very derogatory manner tagged other political parties of being affiliated uh, with the LH, uh, with the LGBTQ community and uh, I think uh, this is uh, very unacceptable uh, if uh, you would like to embrace all of your people uh, after such a fragmented and you know polarizing uh, campaign so uh, I do not think that it is serving to the interests uh, for, you know, rallying your people around uh, the flag after such a uh, campaign. So um, the uh, Erdogan, Erdogan administration launched many different uh, projects. Uh, as we all witnessed uh, during the uh, campaign, uh, he uh, many times highlighted uh, the need for a Turkish uh, energy independence and therefore he uh, said that uh, the Turks uh, found new natural gas resources uh, in the Black Sea. Besides that, uh, we happened to see a new Turkish uh, fighter jets and, and many other, and also uh, let us not forget this controversial Turkish made in Turkey uh, car uh, named TOGG. Uh, so uh, we happen to see uh, like a sort of a rain, rain of projects uh, during this uh, uh, during this uh, election campaign. But uh, I do not think that uh, the Erdogan's constituency uh, really voted uh, to him because of these projects. I assume that uh, these people are supporting the president like they support a football team. Uh, they are very loyal to him, and uh, and as a result, I really don't think that uh, these kind of grandiose projects uh, uh, made the difference. I also uh, would like to add another uh, important uh, factor here. Uh, many people in Turkey they refrain from um, they refrain from making this point because uh, it may not be heard uh, politically correct. But uh, Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu's um, 
religious faith of being Alevi, I, in my opinion, uh, played here a very crucial role uh, because at the end, if you would like to become a victorious uh, party in this uh, election, uh, you have to steal some votes from the other camp. And I sincerely don't think that as an Alevi president, as an Alevi candidate, uh, he can steal votes from central Anatolia's Yozgat province, for instance, or from eastern Anatolia. Of course, many Turks uh, became liberals. They are civilized people in the western side of the countries. They are liberal. Yes, they do vote. But I think uh, most of the people uh, still cannot change their codes of thought. And uh, that is why uh, in universities we teach the history of the Middle East. You cannot uh, basically divorce from the concepts like Sunna, Shia, Alevism, right? When you are um, basically analyzing today's politics, you should also take them into account. Indeed. Well, I, I do have two points to interject about. I think uh, at the opening speech, what he said about the LGBTQ uh, uh, values that the European Union and the United States in particular are trying to promote all over the world are not uh, consistent, neither with Turkish uh, society, uh, historically speaking, nor with the Islamist party and any Islamist or Christian party in the West, for that matter, that adopts those vo values and norms. Uh, lies to itself and to its constituents because it is not aligned with uh, what uh, they declaratively believe in. Uh, and secondly, about uh, the liberal values, I, I'm not so certain uh, whether the Enlightenment has necessarily to do with the liberal values, uh, particularly in, in Turkish uh, education systems, but uh, this is for another topic maybe that we should discuss more thoroughly. Um, Mr. Oskizilchik, I, I saw you uh, grin from time to time uh, about uh, particulars. I'm curious to hear your voiced uh, opinion on these matters, as I'm sure that Dr. Yana Rochak as well, uh, as uh, Mr. Ogan here, are very keen on hearing your perspective on this. So let me first of all start with the issue of the Alawi sect uh, in, uh, and the uh, Michael Stolo. So first of all, we have to underline here two facts. The first is the previous Sunni candidate, uh, Mohammed Jai, he got much less votes than Kemal Stolo. And the one before him, who was also a Sunni uh, candidate, he got also much less than Kemal Stolo. So speaking just from a percentage point of view, Kemal Stolo got almost the vote of half of the Turks. And uh, th this could not be possible if uh, the people would oppose his uh, Alevi identity. Now, I also do not have seen and emphasizes by Erdogan or the pro-government uh, rhetoric and propaganda, which would underline his Alevi identity. On the contrary, it was Kemal Sholu who emphasized its Alevi identity, and I think it uh, helped him to also to a certain degree. But here, in, in the end of the day, the people who did not vote for Kemal Sholu did mainly not do so due to different reasons, and the most important of them is the political alignment of the Republican People's Party with the pro-Kurdish uh, and the PKK-affiliated or aligned uh, Green Left Party. And this was the main issue why the people in Yozgat did not support Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu for the, his present candidacy. And secondly, when, if we look at the election result outcome, 
There's also this uh, very interesting dynamic that the AKP got 35% of the votes, while Erdogan got more than half of the votes. So this shows that there is a uh, discomfort of the Turkish people with uh, the policies of Erdogan, and they did not support his political party as they did in the past. In the past, AKP alone would get 49% of the votes. It decreased massively. But Erdogan, he maintained his vote counts. And uh, he managed to surpass the 50% threshold. And I think the main reason for that is that the opposition was unable to be a real alternative. And I think here the real question should be not put on the uh, people's uh, fanatical support for a political party. Yes, there are people like that. It's 35% in the AKP, 25% for the Republican People's Party. These will not change. And then you have 8 9% for the uh, Kurdish Green Left Party. These will not change. But then they have uh, people who are in the middle and they decide over the future of Turkey. And these people who are in the middle, they could not be convinced by the Turkish opposition. And also, for example, the people in the earthquake region, the region which were affected by the earthquake, they supported Erdogan even more in the second round than in the first round. And the main reasons for that is the people who were hit by the earthquake region, they have seen that while they were trying to survive and they were they did not know about their future the opposition was in an internal battle about who would become the president candidate and they forgot about the people affected by the earthquake while Erdogan was uh, announcing housing projects and recovery projects in earthquake region and uh, from the first to the second round we have seen that people supporting the turkish opposition have vehemently criticized the people for their electoral behavior and said that they cut off their support uh, for the people and their aid for the people affected by the earthquake. And this politicized, uh, I would say, smear campaign against these people have increased Erdogan's vote even further. So the really, really, I think it's time for the Turkish opposition to question itself, because after 21 years in power, and uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, the war in Ukraine, the economic situation in Turkey, and uh, the overall change of generation in Turkey. We have 5 million new voters in Turkey. If the opposition is not able of winning elections, then I think the main issue is the Turkish opposition. The Turkish opposition had two other candidates, namely Ekrem Imamoglu and Mansur Yavaş, who would have performed likely better than Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, but it was the Turkish opposition who did not make them uh, the candidate. And so therefore, the election result in Turkey is the making of the Turkish opposition and their mistakes and their failures. And if you allow me, let me come also to, to what's the position of reconciliation with Erdogan and Very briefly, please. speech. Erdogan, yeah. let me just say one sentence here. Go he on. already started his political uh, campaign for the municipal elections next year. So he was campaigning on the balcony speech already. Very interesting indeed. And I, of course, we would like to hear also Dr. Konyan Rochak's uh, response to that. But Just two points. Please. Um, following up on, on uh, Chai Eitan's uh, uh, soccer metaphor regarding uh, the fans rooting for their uh, home team, um, we here in Israel, uh, when we grew up, uh, I, I shouldn't say, but uh, not uh, too long after the middle of uh, the last uh, century, uh, we used to know about uh, three Istanbul teams in particular, Fenerbahce, 
Galatasaray and Besiktas. And uh, to hear uh, Chai Eitan, one would have thought that one of those has been uh, at the top of the league for the last uh, 20 years or so. But uh, the last time I looked, which is when you three uh, were talking, uh, Fenerbahce was only second spot, Besiktas sixth, and Galatasaray 13, middle of, uh, of the table. So there are possibilities for new forces, new teams, of course, with some foreign players, like we had Chaim Revivo um, at uh, Fenerbahce. Now, um, the Erdogan, now that he's uh, 21 years in power, first as prime minister, then as president, much like Vladimir Putin had the same uh, road. Now that Erdogan is looking ahead, what sort of uh, imprimatur does he want to leave? Uh, just being in power is fine. It's better than the alternative. But he should be aspiring to do something more, especially that this is the 100th year of the Turkish Republic, of uh, Ataturk's uh, great achievement following the, uh, the Turkish, the Ottoman defeat in, in World War I and the dissolution of the empire. So it can go either way. Either he will try to do something which we will consider negative, much like Putin and the Ukraine war, or he will, would like to act as a global statesman. Perhaps he himself does not know the answer yet. Indeed. Well, we have roughly 10 minutes to uh, deliberate that question. But initially, I'd like to hear Dr. Konyarodchak's response. And uh, if you may also then continue into the point, what, what implications uh, does this victory have on Turkey's foreign policy? Sure. Uh, first of all, I uh, agree with uh, Mr. Özkızılcık. Uh, that especially in the earthquake regions, uh, people tended uh, to uh, support Mr. Erdogan more. But we all know that in the area of Kahramanmaraş and its vicinity, uh, the people are very, very conservative. So uh, for me, at least, it's not a surprise uh, that uh, people still support Erdogan and also let us not forget, Mr. Erdogan launched uh, their new construction projects. So many people, uh, the earthquake victims, they uh, really uh, believe and convince that only Erdogan can deliver them their new homes. And because of the economic deterioration, a new uh, opposition government, uh, which may suffer from uh, inefficiency, uh, maybe could not deliver their homes. And as a result, uh, we happen to see uh, that uh, the vast majority of the people, uh, apart from the Hatay province, in the earthquake zone, uh, they uh, voted for Mr. Erdogan. And uh, apart from that, I again uh, agree with uh, Mr. Özkızılcık regarding the uh, identity of uh, Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu, that he lacks charisma. Uh, uh, including the last election, uh, Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu was defeated uh, in aggregate six times. Uh, by Mr. Erdogan. So uh, for me, from the beginning, it was a very illogical decision uh, to declare his, uh, you know, uh, to declare his uh, candidacy. And I would like to highlight here that uh, the Turkish E party leader, Meral Akşener, she was also, uh, she also warned about, uh, uh, with 
this kind of a, a probability. So this should also be emphasized. And then she was almost crucified uh, at this uh, at the uh, center of the city, right? Uh, because uh, she was uh, seen uh, as the one as the one uh, that uh, almost crushed the empire, the um, uh, entire alliance. And uh, regarding your question uh, about international relations and Turkey's foreign uh, relations, first of all, I would like to refer to uh, our bilateral relations with uh, uh, with Turkey. Uh, I do not think that we will see a drastic change uh, in Turkish government stance vis-a-vis -vis Israel. We already overcame two Ramadans. We already overcame uh, numerous tensions in the Temple Mount. And let us not forget, only two weeks ago, we had a very serious escalation in the Gaza Strip, and we also overcame that. Uh, the Turkish foreign ministry only issued a very traditional uh, condemnation against the state of Israel. And Mr. Erdogan, despite the fact that we are, he was in, uh, at the very, very uh, top, he was at the very middle of his election campaign, he refrained from criticizing Israel as he did before. So in my opinion, uh, it is saying a lot that uh, we are not going to see a very, a very severe diplomatic crisis in the future. I also would like to make a point here regarding um, uh, a trilateral relation between Israel, Azerbaijan and Turkey. Israeli President Herzog this week visited Azerbaijan. And uh, Azerbaijanis uh, uh, just recently uh, inaugurated here their embassy. Uh, I also hosted uh, Mr. Rezaev at the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security and also at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. He delivered lectures in these two institutions. And let me tell you, the sky is the limit. Uh, Azerbaijan can act as a platform, as a cement between Israel and Turkey. And let us also put this fact on the, on the table. Uh, Israel, Turkey and Azerbaijan, they are constituting together a very strong party against, against Iran. Okay, so uh, this is very crucial. Um, regarding Turkey's relations with the West, uh, Joe Biden recently congratulated Mr. Erdogan, which is a very sharp U-turn for the U.S. president. We remember how uh, during his election campaign, how he uh, uh, how he made statements against uh, Mr. Erdogan. So I think that it must be very embarrassing for Biden. Um, regarding Russia, Turkey and Russia, uh, they do proceed to deepen their relationship. Uh, uh, we are seeing that the Russians are building the Turkish nuclear reactor in Akkuyu Mersin. It means that almost a marriage of 50 years was signed here. Turkey's interdependency is growing. Turkey needs to pay its uh, debt to Russia. Uh, I'm talking about almost 20 billion, 20 billion dollars of sums of money that Mr. Putin waited until the end of the election so that the first installment could be paid. So in a way, it was a sort of an intervention in the Turkish elections, because if Indeed. Putin uh, insisted in receiving those payments, so the Turkish economy could have deteriorated in a very grave situation. 
Well, Mr. Oskizilchik, I'd like to hear your perspective as well. You have roughly three minutes tops uh, for your uh, analysis. Okay, let me say that I firstly agree with Mr. Yanaljak uh, that Turkish-Israeli relations will continue to improve, and uh, I agree with him that the sky is the limit here. Especially the war in Nagorno-Karabakh has shown what Turkey and Israel can achieve together. It was the Turkish and Israeli drones who played a significant role in this war. And there is a new development. The Turkish the interior minister recently announced on Turkish the state TV that the PKK terror group has relocated its headquarters from northern Iraq, the Kandil Mountains, to northwest Iran, the Kuma Mountains. If uh, And that the PKK leadership is located in this region now, that they are in a safe haven in Iran, and that Iran denies their presence there. If, if, if this continues, and uh, the Turkish-Iranian relations will deteriorate even further, and we also know that there are much tensions between Iran and uh, Azerbaijan, which will also uh, enhance the Turkish-Israeli relations. And all, even this, without the Iranian angle, Turkey and Israel have many things in common. I think the Eastern Mediterranean will be a new topic in, on the agenda, high on the agenda in the coming period. But when it comes to the Turkish relations with the Western countries, namely the United States of America and the European countries, I think the Western states would have accepted the reality that Erdogan is going to stay for other fi another five years and they have to come to terms with Turkey. The Turkish position is very important now. It's more important than it was in 2018. They need Turkey and therefore they will try to enhance the relations and improve the relations. We have seen this also from the German chancellor who has invited Erdogan to Berlin. He wasn't in Germany for a very long time. And in terms of Russia, I can hear on, on an underline that the Turkish-Russian relations will likely continue in a similar path as they are now, but it will depend on the United States of America how much the U.S. is interested in uh, cutting off or limiting this relationship due to the Ukraine war. And the key for this is Syria, and I don't see a political willingness in Washington to answer the true Turkish demands in Syria. If the American position changed in Syria, Many things are possible for Turkey in terms of changing its attitude towards Russia. If not, Turkey will continue in its uh, complicated relationship with Russia. Indeed, I think uh, one anecdote was very important here. And this may indicate a certain course of collision between Turkey and the Islamic Republic of Iran. And that is the Iranians hosting uh, the PKK, the, the Communist Workers' Party sure. of uh, the Kurds, uh, who have been uh, fighting Turkey uh, on multiple fronts. Uh, to what degree do you see this as uh, not only a big deal, but something that should be focused on in the near future? Yes, uh, this is uh, obviously um, one issue where Israel can uh, contribute, as it has in the past, intelligence, um, uh, even though Israel is um, aligned with other Kurds, this is an important security cooperation issue. Indeed. Well, we'll delve into this in the near future. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Konya Rochak, Mr. Oskizilchik, and Mr. Oren for partaking in today's panel. I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. Until next time, from here in Jerusalem, Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.